Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in such a unique way. We call it your word. Father, I thank you that you have shown yourself to us, that your desire is for us. And Father, I ask that you would help us. Help us as people who want to follow you. Holy Spirit, stir us up inside that we would desire more and more of you and more and more of the word. Stir us up that we would want to serve one another and to build one another up. Father, I thank you that you've called us to be a part of your church at this time in history. And I ask that you'd cause all that we do to glorify you, that, that our heart's desire would be seen by you to be all about glorifying you. And I thank, I thank you, Father God, that we have a future of being able to see you face to face and see the reality of your, your majesty and your glory. I lift the children up to you that will be going downstairs and I ask that, that they would be filled with the truth of your word, that they would understand the gospel and that they would have teachers and helpers that will help them understand the importance of truth and the glories of belonging to Jesus. Thank you for this time and I ask that your word would transform us, that we would become more like your son. In his name, amen. So this morning, as the children go down, I have two goals. And the, those two goals relate to a couple of different things, but they're really similar. Um, they're related to the upcoming sabbatical. That sabbatical begins April 15th, and it will end the last week of July. And the goals this morning and for the sabbatical originate from the same place. And that place is my incredible, deep love for the Lord Jesus Christ and this church. I have many strong desires for this sabbatical. I want God to do some things to me. And all of you are going, yeah, God, go, man. <laughs> but I have some incredible desires for this sabbatical to be an exceptionally positive time of spiritual growth for FBC. I love this church. There's no way around it. My passion and my desire is, is for each of us that call this church to feel more deeply and more joyfully that, that you, that each of us, is loved by God personally as an individual believer and that God loves us corporately as a church with a love that is immeasurable, great, and eternal. So, so that's... That's where this sabbatical needs to take place, not just for me, but for all of FBC. To look at some things that will help us with that, I want us to go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and begin in verse 1. <clears throat> Peter writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up <clears throat> that you may grow up into salvation 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So that's where we begin in 1 Peter chapter 2. So, but the Greek, you could, you, so is okay in the Greek, but you, you really maybe are better going with a therefore. Because the therefore is going to take us back. It, it just, I think, helps us if we, we understand that Paul wants, uh, Paul, that Peter wants to refer back to what he's already said. And specifically, he's referring back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and 25. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You're saved through the word of God. The word of God is what God used. 1 Peter 1.25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the passage in chapter 2, 1 through 3, all is because of the word. The source of salvation is his transforming grace worked through scripture to create new life. Peter wants his readers to remember the saving power of God's word in their lives and connect their salvation to their ongoing commitment to Scripture. That's the point. Peter goes on showing that dealing with our sins is a prerequisite for sustaining our desire for God's word. So he's going to give us an exhortation about dealing with our sins. And, and Peter gives us an interesting list. Let's quickly go through that. He begins with all malice. Malice has the idea of desiring to harm someone else. Malice is a, an all-inclusive word for sin, and specifically sin referring to, to general wickedness and immorality. So it's kind of an all-encompassing term. Deceit. Deceit literally means bait or fish hook. I like to do that with a fly. Okay. It's used to describe dishonesty, falsehood, and treachery. Hypocrisy. Originally, this word was used to identify an actor who wore a mask. It is used to describe spiritual, spiritual insincerity, and the word describes any behavior that is not genuine or consistent with what a person really believes or they say they believe. Hypocrisy. Envy. Envy de defines people who resent the prosperity of others. And that resentment leads to grudges, bitterness, hatred, and conflict. Slander is a word used to describe whispering and words spoken behind someone's back in gossip and backbiting. It was used meaning defamation of character. Now this, this list, Peter's list, is not exhaustive. I mean, seriously, if he wanted to list all the sins, how long would that be, right? That could, whoa. So he uses these terms in a, in a very interesting way. And, and one of the things that we need to take note of is all malice. How he starts could, in the way it's, it's used in the Greek, it could encompass all sin. 
He specifically has identified some, and I think it fits into the context. The overall idea of identifying this, this idea of sin is because Peter is calling his readers to repentance. He wants his readers to change direction, to change their thinking, putting away all sin. Okay, when we do that, when we deal with our sin, that clears a path for unhindered desire for the truth of God. If you're living in your sin, it's really hard to be in the Word. So that, asks, that, that begs for a question. How, how do we put our sin away? How do we do that? And I, I think the, that John gives us a very clear idea in 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. So if we're going to talk about pursuing God's word, we start with identifying our sins, and we begin that pursuit by coming to God, repenting of those sins, and confessing them. Confessing, some people get confused about what does that mean, you know? Well, literally that means agreeing with God. If God says you're a sinner, do you agree with him? And you can go, God, I agree that I'm a sinner. And, and God goes, great, that was a good confession. That's how we confess. We agree with God about our sin. When we do this, when we have a repentant heart and we come to Him confessing our sins, we are able to know with absolute certainty the truth of Romans 8, 1 and 2 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God's complete forgiveness, this idea that, that you can go to God and He's going to forgive you of anything that you confess to Him, that's been misinterpreted. It has been misused by some, and I've talked with people like this, they, they receive salvation so they don't ever have to confess sin ever again. They never, they never need to go before God and say, yeah, I really screwed up today. And sometimes when I've encountered people like that, I want to go, so how's that working out for you? Because it doesn't. They don't believe that they have to confess, confess their sins before God and request forgiveness. But John's words, the way it's written and what his idea is that, that we must continually confess our sins. Now, this idea of continually confessing our sins and this whole process, it's related to what we saw last week. If you remember, we started with God's plan, that each of us, it, it, it begins with a first step. That first step is justification, and we, we tuck in there with that positional sanctification. Those two things occur. That's the beginning point. That beginning point, believers at the moment of salvation are proclaimed by God to be not guilty. Not guilty because the penalty due us for our sins was taken on, paid for, by Jesus on the cross. That's the beginning point. Now, following that glorious, 
beginning, God continues to transform each believer through what we called last week progressive sanctification. There's an ongoing process. The idea of confession of sins being a moment-by-moment daily experience as we agree with God about our remaining sin nature, that is kind of problematic sometimes. I was talking with a high school kid one time. He goes, you, you, you mean like all the time? That would be like every 30 seconds. For some of us, it would be a shorter time than that. I mean, it's just like, is that what you mean? I go, that's what I mean. Ooh. So the really easy answer to that kind of a conundrum of, well, I've got to be confessing to God constantly is don't sin. As we confess our sins, God's voice is perceived clearer. And we increase in our understanding of Scripture in ways that bring transformation to our lives. This is a huge part of being a believer. We confess our sins, and by doing that, we've got this, this relationship is healthy with God, and we hear His voice in a, in, a, in a better way. Now, let me change directions just a little bit. I love what I do. I love to pastor, and I love to preach. As a matter of fact, preaching is something I must do. I can't not preach. And, and, and I know some of you may have preached in here, but, but I know Zach gets this. You, you just can't do it. So, so I'm looking at this sabbatical thing, and I'm going, how am I going to do? You know, and there's a whole list of things I want to do and accomplish and all that. But the hard one is not preaching. I, I got to preach. I may just go find somewhere and just stand on a corner and preach. <laughs> the other part of, of what I do as a pastor, that had better not have been a short joke. There's, oh, okay. <laughs> Pastoring, I, I, I just love to see people transformed by the Holy Spirit. That excites me like almost nothing. Nothing else is like it. it you, you, you see somebody in their life is transformed by the Spirit of God. And to see people then glorify God with their lives, that to me is so amazing. That's worth anything. However, so that's, that's who I am. I, I love pastoring. I love preaching. However, there are some things I greatly miss about farming. The, the farming in northern Colorado, that was, that was a childhood dream. That, was, that meant so much to me. And I miss some things. And, and, and one thing that I miss, and, and there's some of you, I already know somebody who's going to go, yeah. One of the, the major things I miss about my time farming is calving. Is calving. And even, even though calving is, is plagued with a multitude of difficulties, struggles, and frustrations, and that's on the good days. I'm looking at a rancher here, yeah. I mean, calving, oh my goodness. And yet I love it 
so much, I miss it. Why? Well, there's something that just stirs up inside of me when, when I see a new calf being cared for by their mama. And they, they find their legs, you know, and they're kind of wobbly for a little while. There's, there's something special about that. And there was, there was always a relief when we were calving, and, and there was a special joy when a newborn calf found mom for the first drink of milk. Of course, you always had the idiots that wouldn't suck, you know. What a thrill. Oh, yeah. It's, they, yes. The calf had to find mom and had to get to that first drink of milk to survive. If that calf doesn't find mama, they die. Dr. Smiley was in the first service, and, and I asked him specifically, is that true? And he went, yeah. Duh. Then after, after they found mom and, and all that, the, the next months, the calves would, would run around, and, and we just loved seeing that, and our kids always called it, oh, look, they're doing the calf dance. And some of you know what I mean. They're just out there jumping and legs flying and tails. and You, you know what I mean. They're doing that calf. But they find mom. They always find mom. And they, they'll find mom and suck mom day or night. Why? If they don't, they die. That's what's going on inside. Mother's milk is so important to all mammals. We know that. And we know as parents, our children need the same kind of nourishment. The need for milk is so well known that that's what Peter uses in this imagery to make one of the most important points of a healthy Christian life. He's using something that we all understand as being so obvious and so important, and he's making a point for us that is also vital. Understanding God's love, loving each other, dealing well with the various struggles of life, having a, a vibrant, healthy church, all of those things and others, it begins at this same point, longing for the milk of the word. That's what Peter wants us to grasp. He uses the imagery of a baby wanting mama's milk. It seems real basic, but it's so valuable to us. Is that how we look at the Word of God? Peter compares the strength of longing for divine revelation to the singular and dominant desire of newborn babies for their mother's milk. What a drive to, to get milk. That desperate hunger for milk is the newborn's first expressed longing designed by God to correspond with their greatest need. The greatest need, survival. And it illustrates how strongly believers ought to desire the word. This desire is also relentless because life depends on it. In our verse in 2 Peter, or in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
long for. It comes from an imperative verb. It's a, it's a command. It's an ongoing command. Believers are to strongly desire or crave something. Paul used the word that, that we get long for. He, he used it seven times. And each of the times that Paul uses it, it expresses an intense, recurring, insatiable desire or passion. And I wonder, is that what we think of when we think of reading God's Word? Is that an intense, recurring, insatiable desire and passion to read God's Word? That's where Peter takes us. And Peter gives us the object of this craving. He says, pure milk. And pure here, it means unadulterated or uncontaminated and often referred to farm products. Milk is one of them, grain, wine, oil. He specifically uses milk. And believers that are to crave what is unmixed and pure that provides real sustenance. Now, we have so much available to us. There are books and articles and magazines and the internet. There's so many things we can read. <coughs> and some of them are just fine. However, they are not spiritually the pure milk of the Word. The pure milk of the Word supplies the spiritual sustenance that we need. It's the Word of God. The pure milk of the Word, Psalms 19 verses 8 and 9 and Psalms 119 verse 40, they tell us, those passages tell us that God's Word is pure and clean. The Word of God is the only source of pure spiritual milk. You want something pure? Go to the Word. You want that, that purity to, to build you and nourish you spiritually? you got to go to the Word. Now, I want you to notice something that, that's unique in this passage of Peter's. He didn't command believers to read the Word. That seems funny that I'd write that, wouldn't you? Yeah. He, he didn't command study the Word. He didn't command meditate on the Word. He didn't command teach the Word. He didn't command preach the Word, search the Word, or memorize the Word. Now, all of those are essentials. None of those we should avoid. We should be doing those as well. There's other passages that we can go to to demonstrate that. Those are all essentials. Peter here is focused on the foundational principle which believers need before pursuing any other. No matter what you want to pursue spiritually, this is where you got to go first. This is the foundational principle. It's deep and it's continuous. It's a continual longing for the word of truth. I got to have I got to have God's word. You know, it's it's difficult for any of us to see a malnourished, weak human being who is hindered in development because they don't have enough food. I've experienced this firsthand. I've, I've shared about my time in India. Um, there's a village in India where nearly 
every child that you saw showed those obvious signs, physical signs of malnutrition. Their skin color, their, the way the, the skin hung on them, the distended bellies, the funniness in their necks. I mean, you just go through a whole list and you go, what is going on? And the answer is, they're starving to death. They're malnourished to the point they're, they're ready to die. This village was also malnourished spiritually. There was no hope in those people's lives. Life for everyone in that village was extremely dark and ugly. It's probably one of the most horrible things I've ever seen. It is the most horrible place I've ever been. It's horrible. In some ways, it's very difficult to find the adjectives to, to be able to truly describe to you how ugly it looks with that kind of malnourishment, physically and spiritually. Now, the good news there in India is that we came to that village with the Word of God. We came with the gospel, and people came to Christ I mean, there was like no arguing. There was, yeah, I'm, I'm on board all the way right now. Let's go. Because they finally heard the truth. They finally heard the truth of the gospel and they had hope. And they came to Christ with this incredible enthusiasm. They heard the truth. <clears throat> that was a very difficult time to see all that malnourishment. In my pastoral ministry, there have been times when it's been difficult, and in some ways it saddens me even more. Because what I have seen in my ministry is spiritually malnourished and underdeveloped believers. That hurts. And they're malnourished because they don't read Scripture. It's not a priority, so they just don't do it. And here they are, malnourished. All believers should be motivated by the opportunity to grow strong and mature in Christ. That's scripture. That's who we should be. We should be daily going, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And each one of us should be enjoying greater blessing and usefulness as believers. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he uses may grow, and that may grow, it literally means it may grow you. The Word of God, it, it may actually grow you. It will. And because his readers had tasted or experienced the kindness, goodness, and grace of the Lord in their conversion, they already knew how blessed and wonderful the truth is. Therefore, believers, they, they should have desired more of that goodness. His point is, if you've been saved because you've heard the truth of the gospel, then, then you should have even more desire for more of that same goodness through feeding on his word. Feeding on his word. Peter uses the analogy of, of mother's milk. Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found... And I ate them. 
That doesn't mean he found a scroll somewhere and crushed that up and, you know, made a Jewish scroll shake out of it. I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. That's amazing. He discovers God's word, and what does he do? He eats it. He takes it in as nourishment, and it transforms him. He, he ends up with this joy and delight in his heart. As Scripture nourishes the believer, they are to respond to others. We see that all through Scripture. Believers respond to others in the church by loving them as brothers and sisters in Christ. We've all been saved by the same gospel, the same truth. And this love of the brothers and sisters in Christ is a glorious message in Scripture. And this love between brothers and sisters in Christ is one of my desires for the sabbatical leave. I tell you, if you don't love one another while I'm gone, I'm going to come back. <laughs> I'm going to carry a big stick. Do you realize that in the New Testament there are nearly 60 one another commands? One another commands. What do I mean? Well, here's a short list. Think about these commands. Love one another. John 13, 35. Welcome one another. Romans 15, 7. Care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Agree with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2. Forgive one another. Ephesians 4, 32. Teach one another. Colossians 3, 16. Do good to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Confess to one another, James 5.16. Show hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4.9. That's only a partial list. That's pretty heavy stuff. Now, those one another's and the other ones, they're linked to a command that is given, and you'll see how it's linked, it's from the author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more. And I believe when he says the day drawing near, that that's a reference to the coming of the Lord. He's coming. This makes the passage apply to all of us. It really means that we, we do this fellowshipping until Jesus comes back. The only place that we can really remain steadfast until He returns is with His people. We need each other. The Bible is very, very clear on that. And if you think it through, it's, it should be very, very obvious. We need to be in fellowship with each other. 
as we mutually strengthen each other and encourage each other, that, that's what we're doing when we get together. We've got to have that. And where that takes me and the way I think, and I think Scripture bears that out, is that every believer is in full-time ministry. Full-time ministry. Now, now some people, and especially in the church in the United States, people go, yeah, well, that's Zach and Bill. They're the full-time ministry. Sometimes churches even use that kind of language. Well, the pastoral staff, they're in full-time ministry. Stop it. Just, if you have those thoughts, just slap yourself. Because Scripture does not teach that. Scripture teaches that every believer is in full-time ministry. Everywhere you go, you take the glory of God with you. Everywhere you go, you represent the transforming power of God's plan of salvation. Everywhere you go. Every Sunday. Let's talk just Sunday. Every Sunday, you have an opportunity to minister in a wide variety of ways. There's all kinds of things we can have you do on Sunday mornings. And every believer is in ministry. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're old or young, tall or short. Every believer is in ministry. I, I like to use this example from early in my life as a believer because very often we go, well, they're too young to minister. Try this. I was in church one morning and everybody was standing and singing. You know, the music was really good. And I've got a, mag, a migraine coming on. And it's one of those migraines that's going to be massive. And those of us that, that really have a history of migraines, we know, oh boy, this is going to I, shoot me now. Okay? It's going to be one of those. So this church that I was attending had pews. And I had my hands almost in a death grip on the pew in front of me. And I'm leaning over the pew knowing that my life is about to end because of the pain. It's going to be one of those massive migraines. Well, lying on the pew in front of me was this boy, this little boy. I have no idea how old he was. I know he was old enough that he could talk. I don't really know much more other than that. I have no idea. I, don't, I haven't got a clue other than that. I'm grasping the pew going, what am I going to do? And here's this little boy. And I, I, I remember him looking at it, up at me and smiling. Now, I don't know because of the pain and all of the, what was going on. I have no idea whether I smiled back at him or not. All I know is in my mind, I can remember him smiling at me. And I'm in agony. I mean, it's getting to the point. I'm going to fall down. And that little boy reached up and put his hand on mine. And in this this voice with amazing maturity and certainty. He said, Jesus loves you. You know, you know, I'd love to be able to say, and I was healed of migraines for the rest of my life. You know. The pain didn't quit. But because of the ministry of that child, it really didn't bother me anymore. My focus wasn't on that. What was my focus on? Jesus loves me. 
The little boy ministered to me in my pain. What's my point? Everyone, every believer can devote themselves to a ministry. There are many ministries, but we all can devote ourselves, our lives, to one ministry in particular. And I'm going to call it the ministry of attendance. That's what's meant in Hebrews 10, 25. Don't, don't quit getting together. The best way to know and serve and love others and the best way to be known and serve and love and and to be served and loved, you know, so you're given and you're taken, the best way for that to happen is simply being present when we gather. That ministry would not have taken place had that little boy go, yeah, mommy, I don't want to go to church, and they hadn't come to church. He wouldn't have been available to lay his hand on me and say, Jesus loves you. That's actually pretty simple, isn't it? So why else do I call it ministry of attendance? Look again at the verse. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. If you notice that, it's, it's, a, it's got a structure. It's a not this but that structure. The not is not staying at home, but encouraging one another. You can't encourage anybody by staying home. Sorry, stepped on toes. Showing up to church is serving others. Now, there could be other ways that you serve. But by being here, you are actually ministering to and serving to others and encouraging I mean, if nobody showed up on Sunday morning, would I be encouraged? I'd still preach. Without the ministry of attendance, we cannot be known. If we're not known, we cannot be encouraged. If we're not encouraged, we will not endure. We gather to mutually encourage, and we encourage in order to mutually endure. I want to endure with all of you. And he says... All the more as you see the day drawing near. We can absolutely, all of us agree that we live in really bizarre times. This is bizarre. And we know also that each moment that we live, we are actually closer to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Does that excite us? I mean, this is the second time I've preached this today. And I'm closer to Jesus now than I was when I preached it earlier. My passion for all of this, the passion for the sabbatical and for the church, is that the ministry of, a, of, of attendance increases. For each believer to take on ministry as the Holy Spirit directs, y'all are going to have to step up a little bit. You, we've got some examples of that. Uh, we've got... Um, your grandson Hunter thank you man Hunter's Hunter's going to be helping Zach I'm not sure who's going to help Hunter because he's going to need a lot of it how how are 
how are you going to how are you going to function? And by the way, are you going to pray for me while I'm gone? Thank you, Judy. Each believer in this church needs to find a greater way of celebrating, encouraging, and building up the church. That's my passion. Wow. When we do that, this is something so exciting. It, it's, there's no way to calculate it. There's no way to describe it. And that passion for Christ... That passion and that desire to build one another up, it spills out of each believer into the community and that through the ministry of FBC, each believer becomes overwhelmed with excitement and passion for our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that not sound like a good place to live? Let's, let's go be the body of Christ in such a way that everybody goes, man, I don't know what you got, but I want it. And it starts by being in the Word. It starts by having this thirst for the pure spiritual milk of the Word. That's where it starts. Let's go be who we say we are. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you've given us revelation about who you are and what your plan is. I ask, Father God, for each one of us that you would stir us up. Holy Spirit, transform us by the power of your word. And help us, Father God, to demonstrate the greatness and the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, no matter where we're at, no matter what we do. Father, thank you for your word, for the milk of the word. In Christ's name, amen.